You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. Good morning. This is Greg and Doug Stokes with Lanyap Podcast. Today is October 5th, 2023, Thursday. It's been a wild week in the markets, to say the least. Not only in the stock market, but but uh, more importantly in the bond market. As far as I'm concerned, the yield on the ten-year uh, Treasury is approaching five uh, percent, which is basically at a uh, multi-decade high. When Doug and I got in the business ten and twelve years ago, or whatever um, yields on bonds were significantly lower than that. And in COVID, the yield on the ten-year Treasury was like in the sub one basis points. Yeah, yeah fifty basis points. Um, so this is one of the most interesting dynamics in the marketplace today, the rapid rise in interest rates. And uh, this is really what the impetus was for the collapse of, uh, of uh, Silicon Valley Bank and that other bank and New York Signature Bank, but on a, um, on a lesser scale. And, the, and the, the, uh, the Fed stepped in and, uh, and backstopped those particular loans, et cetera. But there's, there is... There's concern in the stock market that the um, increase in rates that's taking place right now could cause more um, issues and the potential for recession. And so the way that I see it right now is that the Fed is continu- continuing to hold rates high, and then the 10-year Treasury is also kind of creeping up because the market's um, implicitly seeing that rates are going to be held h- higher for longer. And then there, as a result of that, there's more uncertainty in the stock market, the potential for recession increases. And as it stands right now, the stock market is off about 8 or 9% from uh, recent highs. So, Doug, lots of interesting dynamics going on in the stock and bond markets. I'd love to get your thoughts on both of those. Since, uh, uh, since su- I think it was summer of last year when the uh, yield curve, maybe it was spring of last year when the yield curve first inverted, Meaning that short-term rates were higher than long-term rates, which is a, a an anomaly that occurs typically before recessions. Like there's the yield curve is the you know, perfect record for recession indicator. Uh, however, it just hasn't occurred this time, so we'll see what happens. And the and the person who created the yield curve says he thinks this this time is different. Uh, that remains to be seen, but. What's interesting and what prognosticators were saying about the yield curve is that in order for uh, long-term rates to become higher than short-term rates, the Federal Reserve would be at some point in time cutting rates so that they would force short-term rates lower and then uh, the yield curve would then be uh, positively sloping versus negatively sloping. What I don't think people realized or uh, anticipated is that long-term rates would just go higher, right? And so the yield curve would uninvert, not by the Federal Reserve lowering rates, but by long-term bonds increasing. And there's a couple, um, I think a couple reasons that would occur. The first would be that inflation is stickier than expected. And so uh, higher inflation means higher rates for longer. Um, I don't really buy that, uh, that story. If you look at the trailing month over month, inflation rate, we're down around 2% right now. So we're, right. we're I don't buy like that a, either. So the other side of that is that economic growth is anticipated to be better than expected. And if you look at real GDP growth over the last 
couple of quarters, there's been uh, outperformance and revisions higher. So maybe the market has anticipated that economic growth is uh, is back. And so that would be where I would go with this is, you know, what's happening in the bond market. Uh, maybe economic growth is higher. The other, the other potential, which I think is a high likelihood, is that some hedge fund out there that was big time uh, short rates uh, is blowing up and having to uh, unwind that portfolio, which is pushing rates higher rapidly. So yeah, that uh, could saw, be. yeah, yeah. So we saw that we saw that occur with sort of the GameStop meme stock stock mania in 2021, where you had Melvin Capital, was the poster child for this, uh, blow up because they were short a bunch of stocks that <clears throat> the Reddit guys got behind and boosted higher. Um, maybe that's happening with rates, where you have some funds that are blowing up that were expecting lower rates on the long end of the curve and, and are having to unwind that pretty rapidly um, and causing causing interest rates to go higher. You also have the the uh, theory that you know countries like China or Japan that hold a lot of treasuries, long-dated treasuries, are, in order to protect their own uh, balance sheets are unwinding treasury positions. So a lot of the, it's probably a lot of, uh, you know, some of all of that, but uh, it is an interesting dynamic. I don't think anybody saw coming that uh, the long-term bonds would be the the part of the yield curve that would cause the inversion to to revert. Right. And we're not quite there at that reversion. The 30-year treasury, this is as of uh, a couple days ago, was 4.95%. That was that's the highest since September of of two thousand and seven. The one year Treasury is at five point four nine percent, which is the highest since December of two thousand. Um, so really interesting in terms of the increase in rates, which has been sort of crummy, especially if you're on the long end of the spectrum um, and holding bonds from like twenty twenty, for example, when rates were basically paying nothing. So this is an interesting quote from um, from an individual on Twitter. U.S. Treasuries, who is holding the bag? 25 basis point bonds due in 2025 were off nearly 10%. 1.25% bonds due in 2050. So if you if you in 2020, if you would have bought a 30-year treasury, you would have earned 1.25% are now off 56%. So um, wild returns in terms of even on the shorter end of the spectrum, but long, long end of the spectrum, you've just gotten clobbered. And then the uh, country of oh, Austria... Oh. Yeah, by the way, um, I saw this uh, this stat, which is unbelievable. Uh, it says, incredibly, this is on Treasury Bonds, incredibly, this is Jack Farley posted this, and it's, uh, uh, anyway, incredibly, ultra-long duration Treasury Bonds have now lost more in percentage terms than stocks did during the great financial crisis. <laughs> the drawdown in extended duration Treasury ETF down 58.3% now exceeds peak to trough losses in S&P 500 during the stock market crash of 2007 to 2009, negative 56%. Yeah. Unreal. I mean, right. And, and what happened in 2009, 2008, 2009 was that proved to be a great buying period for stocks. And I, I, we were talking about this offline and we talked about it last week that this is probably if who knows where yields are going to go from here, they could go higher. But it's probably going to be equally a good buying period if you look at a couple I'm, of years. I'm now. pounding the table on on bonds right now. I think it's uh, just one of the most unique opportunities, uh, probably the most unique opportunity in our career, and and definitely over the last 25 years to buy fixed income. This is 
Urian Timmer, who's the uh, chief strategist and chief economist at Fidelity, he says, the higher rates grow, the, the higher rates go, the more compelling the risk reward becomes for bonds. For the Bloomberg Barclays aggregate index, which is the total bond market, the upside is now plus 11.5% if yields fall 100 basis points. And the downside is 0.7% if yields rise another 100 basis points, meaning if the 10-year treasury goes from 4.8% to 5.8%, the downside is less than 1% in the aggregate bond market. If yields rise much further, the soon the risk reward will be positive versus positive. What does that mean? Well, Cullen Roche describes this as escape velocity. He says, we discussed the concept of escape velocity a few weeks back, back, but without getting wonky, it's basically the point where current coupon payments offset the interest rate risk. So for instance, if a bond with a duration of five also yields 5%, then a 1% change in interest rates over the year will have no impact on the price because the yield that accrues over the one-year period will offset the decline in prices. I call it escape velocity because the new starting coupon allows the bond to escape its interest rate risk. We're, we're at a point now, or at least getting to a point, where a 1% move in bonds, which is a massive move, uh, may not cause much or any loss at all in an aggregate bond portfolio. Right, because yields are so starting yields are so high. So it's pretty crazy. If, and, and this is the last sort of anecdote as it relates to how crazy things were in this sort of low interest rate environment. The uh, country of Austria, um, not Australia, Austria, which is the, or the neighbor of uh, Germany, um, sold a fresh batch of, this is, a, this is a, uh, a quote from Bloomberg, sold a fresh batch of 100-year bonds in the summer of 2020 at an 85 basis point coupon, 0.85%. Uh, seems so juicy that Vienna received some 16 billion euro in orders of those bonds. Um, the view that these things would we would be operating in a low interest rate environment for a century has uh, come to a crashing halt in terms of that conclusion. And now these things are trading at 33 cents on the dollar. So um, bummer for those individuals that bought that. And they were able to sell a whole lot of them too. Um, I remember people in the uh, United States were like confused as to why the United States was not issuing 100-year bonds right. in 2020 Seriously. and 2021. Um, it seems like it was just a slam dunk in the rearview mirror. I'm not sure why it didn't happen. Um, but that would uh, the government and Central Bank of Austria, that was the exact right thing to do at the time. There was an appetite for uh, risk-off assets. There's a major appetite for government bonds willing to buy a 100-year instrument for you know, 1% or less. It's just ridiculous. I mean, it also just shows that the mentality of investors at that point in time, that they're willing to accept such a low rate of return for such a long period of time. And, and without the, 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 the real uh, thought that rates would increase the way they did, but it goes to show you that, the, that these investments that are marketed as risk-free, which if the, presumably the country of Austria is going to be around in 100 years and they're going to be able to pay their debts and you're going to get your $100 back along with your um, 85 uh, cents a year in coupons. Um, but uh, but all, lo and behold, between now and then, you have to deal with a lot of variability, including getting a 67% haircut. So nobody could have predicted that. Um, nobody could even even uh, this year. Nobody could have predicted the wild rate range of movements in the bond market and the mortgage markets, et cetera. 
This is uh, Goldman Sachs from a few months ago. They predicted the 30-year fixed mortgage rates would average 5.9% in 2024, while the 10-year treasury would average 3.8%. Lo and behold, they today they revised their 2024 call to a 6.8% mortgage rate and a 4.4% 10-year. So um, people are making, and people in, I mean, Goldman Sachs has got some incredibly smart people. They're making it up as they go. The investors that bought those Austrian bonds um, was were also uh, kind of, uh, I guess, had a, a wrong pronostication on their end. But they're actually well, they also had a mandate, right? They had to have they had to own some percentage of their portfolio. These are uh, you know pensions, endowments, whatever, governments. Some percentage of their portfolio held in in Austrian bonds. That was part of their investment policy, I'm assuming. And so, um, but not great. It's a, and and we're talking. Mortgage rates, I mean, we're seeing the impact locally here in New Orleans in the housing market. Nationally, uh, we're, we're, housing prices are holding up simply because people are are stuck on uh, you know, basically golden handcuffs, uh, low fixed rate mortgages. And so why would you sell your house, give up a 3% mortgage to go get a 7 or 8% mortgage? Uh, we're look, I'm looking at a uh, home price shift as tracked by Freddie Mac home house price index. Um, Austin uh, is down 8% uh, year over year, down almost 12% from its high. A lot of the uh, you know, Mountain West, Boise, Idaho Falls, um, uh, Provo down 6 to 8% from its high. Uh, New Orleans down 4%, and New Orleans is one of the only cities that's tracked. It's actually down year-to-date, <laughs> down half of a percent. Austin down 1.5%. But what's amazing about this, and it says since, since March of 2020, this Austin, despite being down 12% from its peak, house price is up 44%. Boise's up 49%. Idaho Falls up 55%. So imagine this. Imagine you're a home buyer. You have an 8% mortgage that you're coming into, and now house prices are still 50% higher than they were pre-pandemic. It's impossible for a first-time home buyer, or at least the very vast majority of them, to to own a home. And so renting is really the only option right now. Right. And imagine, on the other hand, if you're, you're a young family and you're, you bought a house a few years ago as a starter home and you're starting to have kids and you need to expand, um, you know, you need a bigger house or whatever, it's like that's got to be a pretty horrible situation and you might you might just have to basically uh, tough it out or whatever because the the mortgage prices on a uh, apples to apples comparison are you know like just from the same dollar amount we talked about about this a few few podcasts ago are like 100% higher um so it's pretty crazy that so so far we've avoided a recession although you never know you're in a recession until 6 months after the fact or whatever so we could be in a recession um, the housing market is certainly frozen right now, and you would think that any sort of businesses that are related to housing are suffering, like contractors. We talked about Pool Corp, is sh- the, the uh, publicly traded company that sells pool supplies, is showing permits are down like 30 or 40%. Um, if you want to get a pool put in nowadays, it's really easy versus during COVID. It was a multi-month or year wait list in some instances. Um, so that's that those interest rate sensitive areas of the economy, like housing, for example, haven't necessarily triggered a recession in the country or so we don't know at least. Um, but the stock market so far 
so far year to date, I think we're still up. We're what we're off highs. The Dow Jones has erased all of their gains as of last as of earlier this week. But if you look back over the course of the last two years, the markets really are, are kind of flat over the last two years. June of 2021, the S P 500 was 42.67. As of today, it's in the 4200 range, so basically flat over the last two years. Same thing goes for the Nasdaq. Um, if you if right now we're we're approaching a 10 percent correction, and this is a, a quote from Nick Majuli, um, just that shows the normality of these sorts of of these sorts of uh, uh, corrections. He says the U.S. stock market typically declines by 10 percent every other year. 30% every four to five years and 50% once in a generation invest accordingly. So we're getting, we're approaching one of our 10 percenters who knows if it's going to happen or not, but, um, we're close. Yeah. I'll, I'll add, you mentioned the NASDAQ S and P and Dow, but we're, we haven't talked about the small cap. So every, everything that's below S and P 500, the Russell 2000 is at 1730 right now. It was at about 1700 on July 1st, 2018. That's five years of no return for everything besides, um, you know, everything below large cap. So it's, uh, you know, it's been a, a tale over the last five years of mega cap, specifically mega cap tech, your Amazon's Apple's Facebook's of the world really carrying uh, the market. Everything under the hood right now is struggling and has struggled for some time. Yeah. And, and there's also interesting dynamics under the, under the hood as well too. Like, um, this whole inflationary regime is really hurting people that are in the higher income levels are kind of just, it's not a big deal if the price of food is higher gasoline or whatever, but it's certainly a big deal for middle and lower income individuals, especially lower income individuals that may be, um, you know, renting a place and spending the entirety of their, their paycheck on, on a regular basis. Um, that's reflected in the prices of some, um, stocks like, Dollar General, um, Target, et cetera, are off significantly from their highs. I think Dollar General is off like 60% or something like that. So people are really cutting back on the lower end of the spectrum. Um, I, we've talked about this at length. Right now, the Fed, the inflationary numbers for September are going to come out next week, next Friday, or next Thursday. Um, the Fed is basically like holding rates where they are right now with the anticipation that um, inflation until until they get confirmation that inflation is coming down. I, I really, as it relates to the overall overall inflationary scene right now, to me it looks like things are moderating and trueflation basically confirms that. They're saying the inflation is about 2.4%. Oil's off significantly this last week. That's another thing we haven't really talked about. The price of oil got to like $93 a barrel. It's, it's fallen significantly. It's right now, I think it's $82 or $83 a barrel. So that was was something we talked about as a potential headwind for inflation to come down, but that may actually start to moderate. So we'll see what happens, but the the, uh, CPI numbers and what the Fed ultimately is going to do is going to be a big part of what happens in the market um, in the next few months. Yeah, and I'm looking at, I'm just going, doing more under the hood investigation as you speak. I'm looking at uh, Vanguard's real estate index. So the, the talk of the town the last couple of years has been the impact of real estate. Uh, a la 2008, 2009, Vanguard, which uh, Van, which Vanguard's real estate fund tracks before then. This is VNQ, the ETF, Vanguard Real Estate Index Fund. 
Uh, this is price only, so it doesn't include distributions, which is um, the current yield right now is 4.7%. The current price per share of VNQ, Vanguard Real Estate Index ETF, $73.50. On August 1st, 2006, it was $72 a share. Wow. Uh, been no, no price growth. I mean, you can go back and look at uh, oil over the that same time frame. Um, Exxon, uh January, uh, July 1st, 2007, about $93 a share. Uh, it's about $110 a share now. Basically, no price growth. Doug, uh, so how, do, how, do, how does it work with regards to Vanguard's rate being down significantly? And if you look at it, on a, on, what's, what is it down year to date? Uh, let's see. Year to date returns minus 7.88%. Uh, but if we go back, let's look at uh, year by year. Um, 2022, it was down 26%, had a big year, <clears throat> 2021 up 40%. Uh, but yeah, if we go, if we're going back, I mean, a lot of volatility, uh, throughout the years, but not a whole lot of return. The only return you've gotten over the last 15 years has been, uh, the dividend, which has been around four to 5%. So compare, uh, I, I'm interested in your thoughts in, in terms of comparing that. And we, I'm looking at, a was reviewing a client's portfolio, prospective client's portfolio, and he holds Blackstone Real Estate Income Trust, which is a private um, real estate, very similar type holding. That particular fund is up year to date. Um, and over the last one, three, and five years is up. One year is up 3%. Year to date, year to date is up three and three and a half. Three years up 16.5. Um, I'm interested to get your thoughts in the, on the divergence in the, in the private marketplace as reported by Blackstone and the public marketplace as reported by the Vanguard um, uh, REIT index. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's, there's a lag effect to, <clears throat> so first of all, the Blackstone real estate income trust is going to be, uh, appraised value on a, uh, I think they do it either monthly or quarterly, but it's not a mark to market type asset. And so take that for what, what, for what it's worth. Um, although there have, you know, there have been people that have been able to get their money out on the, at the stated NAV. That was a, that was a big issue last year where they started gating their investors who were request, requesting redemptions. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think if you look at since inception, let's find the inception date of this, uh, January, uh, 2017 annualized, uh, performance of 11.8% versus the, uh, read index, uh, since 2017, what is that about? Uh, yeah, it's about 2.5%. So major outperformance. I think if you look under the hood at Vanguard's uh, real estate index, you'll see that uh, you'll see a lot of uh, allocation towards office uh, versus B-REIT, which has a higher allocation towards multifamily and, and industrial. And I think that explains a lot of the outperformance mm -hmm. in addition to just appraisal uh, versus mark to market. Right. Which, uh, which which they're deciding what their that their uh, properties are worth what they are versus the the market. Yeah, theoretically they have a a third party uh, appraiser, but of course you know the, theoretically you, can, you, could, you can right. look at that any of that through a slanted eye. Uh, but I think the biggest component here is that office represents two uh, percent of uh, B REIT, and uh, let's see what VNQ's office exposure is. I mean, I know they have a lot of office REITs. Um, so that make that your thought process makes sense. Yeah, I think, uh, right, well, right now it's, uh, 6% exposure to office. Um, let's see, 
it's hard to it's hard harder to uh, ascertain on the on Vanguard's website what it's exposed to. But again, I think a lot of a lot of it is going to do is going to be mark to market versus not mark to market. And uh, but it's hard to explain that over a long period of time. I think short term you can explain the differences between mark to market and uh, and appraised. But over you know five ten years, they should average out to a similar return if it's the same asset. Um, but I don't. I, there's got to be something that B REIT's doing better than the REIT index over a longer period of time to have 10, 10 percentage points per year of outperformance almost. Right. Good, good appraisers. Um, <laughs> so, uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about before we shut this down, um, two things really. So fear and greed index, ex- there's extreme, this is per CNN. We're in extreme, ex- in an extreme fearful state. Um, 17 out of 100, ex- hundred being extreme greed. We're at 17 close to extreme fear. Um, I, so that's, I saw that was, that was a pretty interesting. That's, that reflects the, the sort of, uh, dynamic that we're seeing in the marketplace right now as far as psychology and impacting companies and in terms of uh inflationary uh data one of the things that's been talked about is that there's a psychological component to inflation just like there's like an actual supply and demand and the psychological is is that people want to spend money and companies actually have figured out how to way a way to take advantage of that amazon there's an article in the wall street journal about how amazon had developed an algorithm to increase the prices of goods based upon, um, uh, let's see here, based upon customer sentiment, essentially. So there is a uh, there's a, there's companies that have actually gotten sophisticated enough to take advantage of the psychology of their customers in terms of rate of raising prices. Um, as it relates to, uh, we talked about previously how the the inflation is hurting uh, lower income individuals. The retail rate is down forty percent. Dollar Tree Store is down 40, Target down 57, Dollar General, we talked about 60, down 60, Big Lots down 92%. So it's a lot of, uh, a lot of things going on under the hood, um, and it'll be interesting as the, the months progress in terms of the economy on the whole, interest rates, the stock market. And uh, we'll be here commenting on all of that with you guys. Um, and uh, But remember this, that we, we talked about this and, and we've referenced the same. This is actually a great um, slide deck that JP Morgan produced about the variance in, in entry year returns versus calendar year returns. You get We talked about there's a lot of um, variability in the markets. On average, markets will correct about 10% every other year. So nothing abnormal. And if you look back at the history of the, of the, the variability in markets as per that JP Morgan um, PowerPoint, there is a tremendous amount of variability, and a lot of times, what happens is you don't even remember um, five, three or five years ago that what's driving the markets. And if history is any guide, we're probably not going to be talking about um, a lot of the things that are are, are are causing market action today in a few years. Um, so hopefully that's the case, and hopefully the markets continue to do what they've done, which is sh- shrug this kind of stuff off and chug along and climb that wall of worry. But like like we talked about, we'll be here. Um, along along the way to talk about and provide our, our insight into what's happening. We talked about this previous as well too, that this is like a sort of like a diary in terms of what the, our thought process is and, and what's going on in the markets. Never a dull moment here. Um, this is Greg and Doug Stokes with Lanyard Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this and, and please share it with your friends and family and give it five stars. Thanks so much. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.